I feel compelled to ask you an important question, question this morning before we open God's word. How many of you appreciate the worship team at Christ Fellowship? Amen. Jason, I, I, I thought the roof was going to just blow off the structure. That was incredible. So thank you, worship team, and also thank you, Christ Fellowship, for just a, a great time of worship. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to... The book of Ephesians, once again, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. For several weeks now, we have been discovering together the spiritual blessings that belong to every person who is in Christ. That is, the blessings that belong to every Christian. My hope is that our journey has invigorated you, our journey has awakened you to not only the reality of the gospel, but the, the sheer beauty of the gospel. As I walk through Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at the very first verse and going up to verse 10, I, I caught myself reviewing and, and realized that we have taken time to learn about the preeminent blessing we have learned together that the fountainhead of all the blessings that we receive find their origin in God the Father, and that each one of these blessings are intimately linked to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I probably don't even need to say it at this point, but uh, reason compels me to do so. That is that each one of these blessings are utterly and totally undeserved. Verse 4, we learned about the priority of election. And this is a doctrine we learn that is, is found throughout sacred scripture. This is an undeniable reality that we need to not only acknowledge and accept, but the reality of election should cause us to rejoice. We learned about the plan of election that God the Father... In eternity past, chose us in Christ, and he chose us according to his good pleasure. We learned about the purpose of election, that God chooses us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then we learned about the motivation for election. We learned that we were predestined before the foundation of the world because God loved us. We were predestined to adoption, to be adopted as sons and daughters in the family of God. And as sons and daughters, we have the privilege of approaching God as Father. He is our Father. As sons and daughters, we also share in Christ's suffering. We share in His glory, as Romans chapter 8, verse 17 tells us. And then we spent some time over the last few weeks lingering over what I have referred, as, referred to as the spiritual emancipation proclamation. And over the course of the last two weeks, we really summarized that Emancipation Proclamation by learning that we have been granted freedom, we have been granted forgiveness, and we have been granted spiritual focus. Well, now in the passage before us this morning, we have one of the strongest statements concerning sovereign grace in all of Scripture. Paul the Apostle continues to unpack the spiritual blessings that belong to each of us, those of us who are in Christ. I want to ask a few questions that you can review in your own heart and your own mind before we turn to the passage this morning. And the first question is this, do you realize the depth of the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ? 
Do you understand the the magnitude of these blessings? Do you understand how these blessings impact you in the most personal and practical of ways? The title of the message this morning is The Beauty of Sovereign Grace. I want to have you look with me in Ephesians chapter 1 and stand to your feet as we read this passage together, verses 11 and 12. This is the word of the Lord. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, Father, with the word of God open before us, we are so grateful for it. We are so grateful that you have... Uh, unveiled the the beauty that you have unveiled the mystery of the gospel for the people of God to behold. God, I thank you that you have done a, a mighty work of grace in many, many hearts in this room. And my prayer today is that that work of grace would, would continue its march into eternity future, that you would do a, a sovereign work of grace in someone's heart today that has never experienced it before. That the reality of the gospel would would come alive in their hearts, that it would explode in their hearts, that you would make it real, all because of the the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the reality of regeneration. So we're looking forward to to hearing from you today, from studying your word, that it that we would have the ability to apply some great truths to our lives, that we would leave a, a changed people, an encouraged people, a challenged people, a people who have a desire to, to spread the passion of the gospel to every person we come into contact with. So we look forward to this time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the Bible tell us about sovereign grace? In this passage, it tells us this. I want to give you the truth point in advance. I don't normally do that, but I want to give it to you in a really a deductive fashion and then begin to, to develop those points, to chew on those points over the next several minutes. Here's the truth point. We have been given an inheritance from God according to the purposes of God all for the glory of God. The first heading I want you to see is that we have an inheritance from God. And the truth of that inheritance surfaces in verse 11. Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. I want to ask the question, what in the world is it? What is this inheritance? Well, the Greek word klerao, which is translated inheritance or Chosen or appointed lot tells us something very important. It tells us that there is a new relationship afoot. Because you and I who are in Christ, we have this inheritance. We have this this new, this fresh, this vital relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Under the terms of the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Israel, you see, was God's inheritance. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Let me read these words to you. 
And behold, or beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you will be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you. And brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, listen, to be a people of his own inheritance. James Hamilton, professor of theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, says, God has brought Jews and Gentiles together as his heritage for the praise of his glory. Now, my assumption is that most of you this morning are Gentiles. We may have a few scattered Jewish people here, and if so, we're so glad you're here with us. But the majority of you, I would imagine, are Gentiles. And here we learn in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that God has brought us together. That Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens to the promises of God. We have been brought together as His heritage All for the praise of his glory. I want you to also see the source of our inheritance is in Christ. It's in Christ. I have challenged you to pay close attention to personal pronouns in Ephesians chapter 1. And I have to be honest and tell you that sometimes it does get a little tricky. Him, dot, 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 him, him. And you're you're asking, "Is is it the Father? Is it the Son? Is it the Spirit? And those are the right questions to be asking. And once again, in verse 11, we see a personal pronoun, pronoun in Him. And the context reveals that it is in Christ. In Christ, we have obtained an eternal inheritance. You need to remember this morning. And I say this primarily because it comes from the Word of God, but also because we live in a postmodern culture that repudiates One way to salvation. We live in a culture, a postmodern culture that says we don't even need salvation. But we need to be reminded this morning that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there's only one thing that we can expect to receive from God. And that one thing is eternal judgment. Apart from the the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can only expect to be eternally condemned. Number three, I want you to see that this inheritance points to a powerful union with Jesus. Would you hold your finger in Ephesians chapter 1 and look with me a few books back at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. And we get a little inside look at this inheritance that is ours in Christ. Romans eight sixteen, Paul says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. My friends, this is a powerful union with Christ. But I want you to also see that we have a promise from God. A promise from God. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says that he is the mediator of a new covenant. That is, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. 
And this is the time in the sermon when the whole congregation says, Amen! Amen. Because we receive what was promised by God. That is the eternal inheritance. Number five, notice with me that this is a promise fulfilled from God. John MacArthur writes, In Jesus Christ, believers inherit every promise God ever made. And I want to stop and make an observation here. I I want to say that I know that some of you today, and especially as we come closer into the Christmas season, you are struggling. You are lonely. You are filled with discouragement. You are being tempted every way you can imagine in your life. You are struggling with your job. You're struggling with your marriage. You're struggling with your children. Whatever it is, I want you to hear these words. That in Jesus Christ, believers inherit every promise God ever made. Our every conceivable need is met by God's gracious provisions in accordance with his divine promises. Now listen, MacArthur continues, we are promised. And by the way, which promises do we receive? 100%. We have received peace, love, grace, wisdom, eternal life, joy, victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, truth, fellowship with God, spiritual discernment, heaven, and eternal riches. They're all ours in Christ. Not one of them is missing. This is the reality of the inheritance from God. Now, how did this lot happen to fall upon certain people? How in the world did some of you receive this eternal inheritance? The answer is that the inheritance that we receive is according to the purpose of God. This inheritance that we receive is is owing to the purpose of God. Look also at verse 11. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. And if you're a person who reads ahead like me, some of you are saying to yourself, here it comes again. Predestination. And what does the faithful preacher do when he runs into a topic that is difficult or tough or controversial? You skip right over it. (laughs) That would be the unfaithful preacher. So what do you do when you run into a, a topic that is difficult or controversial or poses problems? You preach the word of God. On my pulpit, and you're welcome to come take a look at this anytime you like. I look at this every time I come up to preach is a quote from one of my heroes, Dr. R.C. Sproul, and it says this, You are required to believe, to preach, and to teach what the Bible says is true, not what you want the Bible to say is true. Could I take the liberty to change that quote around a little bit? You, now the people of God, are required to believe what the Bible says is true, Not to believe what you says the Bible says is true. 
So we need to believe the Word of God. We have an inheritance according to the purpose of God. And I want you to look at what I call an inside look at these purposes. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him. Please understand this morning that God predestined our inheritance. How did we get it? We were predestined. That word predestined comes from a a Greek word that means this. It means to decide beforehand. It means to foreordain. It means that something is fixed, that something is determined. I think of it like this. Something is set in the wet cement, and when it dries, that's it. There's no change in it. Predestination, according to John Calvin is what we call the eternal decree of God, by which he has determined in himself what he would have to become of every individual of mankind. B.B. Warfield continues, In the infinite wisdom of the Lord of all the earth, each event falls with the exact precision into its proper place in the unfolding of his eternal plan. Nothing... However small, however strange, occurs without his ordering or without its peculiar fitness for its place in the working out of his purposes. And the end of all shall be to the manifestation of his glory and the accumulation of his praise. Many of you know that last Wednesday the church lost a a, a treasure of a man. When R.C. Sproul breathed his last and he is with his Savior now. I've said it in many contexts and I'll say it again now that apart from my father, no other man on planet earth has influenced me personally more than R.C. Sproul. And so it was, it was, a, it was bitter sweet, and I know it's bittersweet for many of you as well. This is what R.C. says about this topic of predestination. He says what predestination means in its most elementary form is that your final destination, heaven or hell, is decided by God. Not only before we get there, but before we are ever born. It teaches that our ultimate destiny is in the hands of God. Another way of saying it is this. From all eternity, before we ever live, God decided to save some members of the human race and to let the rest of the human race perish. God made a choice. He chose some individuals to be saved unto everlasting blessedness in heaven, and others he chose to pass over, to allow them to follow the consequences of their sins into eternal torment of hell. Close quote. In verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 1, we saw that God the Father predestined his people to adoption as sons through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see that the Father predestines his people not only to adoption, but also he predestines their inheritance. Now the Bible, once again, is abundantly clear about the doctrine of predestination. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
I love Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30 that tell us that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I want you to see second that predestination is always purposeful. We've seen in previous sermons that that predestination is not capricious. It is not random. It indeed has a purpose. And we see here that God's people have been predestined according to the purpose of him. That is God the Father. The word that is translated work means setting forth a plan or a purpose or a will. Romans 8 verse 28 uses the same word for purpose. It says, we know that all those who love God, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And who could leave out Romans chapter 9 verse 11? Though they were not yet born, speaking of Jacob and Esau, and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. I want to show you a third observation that my hope and my prayer is that it blows you out of the water, that it it encourages you, that it encourages your socks off. And it goes like this. God's purpose is all-encompassing. You see, God's purposes are not limited to the scope of our salvation. God's purposes are all-encompassing. God's purposes include cars and boats and trains and clouds and grasshoppers and ants and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and plans and colleges and marriages and pain and suffering And anything you can ever conceive of, there are, as R.C. used to say, no random molecules in God's universe. There are no random molecules in God's universe. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. God decrees it all. God plans it all. One commentator continues, he says that God's purpose is fixed, being part of a larger universe-embracing plan. Not only did God make this plan that includes absolutely all things that ever take place in heaven and on earth and in hell, past or present, and even the future, pertaining to both believers and unbelievers, to angels and devils, to physical as well as spiritual energies and units of existence, both large and small, he also wholly carries it out. His providence in time is as comprehensive as his decree from eternity. You say, what does that mean? 
It means that God's in charge of it all. It means that God is sovereign over every speck of dust in the universe. Now, I understand. I understand that, that, that some of you and some of your friends and family members who are not even here wrestle mightily with the doctrine of predestination. But we need to come to terms with this reality that predestination is biblical. The evidence for this doctrine is absolutely overwhelming. The arguments in favor of predestination are absolutely compelling. But understand this. If you struggle with the doctrine of predestination, you are in good company. If you battle this doctrine, you are in good company. If every quote I just read, including Ephesians 1 verse 11, makes you say, I don't know, I'm struggling, know this, you are in good company. I've shared in previous sermons how I myself battled for quite some time with this doctrine. I wrestled, I fought, I labored, I prayed, I argued, I went on and on and on. But know this, if you struggle, the struggle may continue. But my hope in prayer is that one day the struggle will cease. One of the most well-known Christian leaders who battled the doctrine of predestination, and this, this will floor you. One of the guys who struggled probably more than anyone I've ever read with predestination is Jonathan Edwards. What? Isn't that the preacher of the sovereign pleasure of God? And the answer would be yes. But Edwards, early in his life, wrestled mightily with this doctrine. Here's what he said. He said, from my childhood up, my mind had been full of objections against the doctrine of God's sovereignty. In choosing whom he would to eternal life and rejecting whom he pleased, leaving them eternally to perish and be everlastingly tormented in hell. Now listen to what Edwards says next. And these these words are etched into my mind because... What he wrestles with is something that many people over the the, the spectrum of evangelicalism wrestle with as well. Jonathan Edwards says this of the sovereignty of God and predestining grace. He says it used to appear like a horrible doctrine to me. It used to appear like a horrible doctrine to me. But he, like some of you, wrestled and continued to wrestle and turned his attention to the word of God and turned his attention to good Christian books and took his concerns to God in prayer. But Edwards finally came to a place in his life early on in his Christian journey where he he not only accepted the doctrine of predestination, he rejoiced in the doctrine of predestination. So here is one who hated the doctrine, who wrestled with the doctrine, and one day he comes to this conclusion. He says, The doctrine has often appeared exceedingly pleasant, bright, and sweet. Jonathan Edwards says this, Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. 
And so this morning, as, as you wrestle through this issue, once again, it is not unusual if, if you are wrestling with this issue. My prayer is that your struggle one day would lead you to the same conclusion that Jonathan Edwards has decided. And that is this, that absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. Now in verse 12, we see the purpose of these amazing spiritual blessings. Thus far, we have seen this, that we have been given an inheritance from God, that our inheritance is according to the purpose of God, which is owing to his predestination. Finally, and briefly, I want you to see the third heading, and that is that our inheritance is for a purpose. Our inheritance is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. Verse 12, whenever you read the little phrase, so that, you can say to your mind, ah, there's a purpose. It's what biblical scholars call a purpose clause. We have obtained this inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Here you see God's final aim. One writer says that God redeemed and lavished grace by revealing his plan to consummate everything in Christ, making Jews and Gentiles his heritage or his inheritance for the praise of his glory. Once again, the truth point, we have been given an inheritance from God. According to the purpose of God, all for the glory of God. What I want to challenge you with this morning is this. Are you making the most of your inheritance? Do you realize that that all of your needs, as we learned about earlier in the message, are covered in Christ? All of your needs are met by God's provision in Christ. And so I ask you this. As your pastor, are you, are you longing for joy? Are you longing for joy? Know this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you longing for peace today, especially in this Christmas season? Know that you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you seeking direction? Ken spoke of Proverbs earlier. We know that famous passage in Proverbs chapter 3 that says that we are called to trust the Lord and he will make our paths straight. God will direct your paths in Christ. That is a promise. Are you lonely this morning? Know that your most enduring relationship is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you need to be forgiven for a sin that you committed this morning? Say, how, how in the world did you know that? Do you need to be a, forgiven for a sin that you committed yesterday? Do you need to be forgiven for a sin that you committed in 1983? Do you need to be forgiven for a whole horde of sins that you've committed over the last 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 plus years? Do you need to be forgiven for a sin that you'll commit today at 1.30? If you can answer in the affirmative to any of these questions, and my suspicion is 100% of us say, yes, it's what I need. Know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins 
past, present, and future. Are you battling contentment today? This is something that I've battled for years. Why now? Why this? Why that? What about this? What about that? I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I lived here. I wish I lived there. Blah, 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 blah. Can you relate to that one? Are you struggling with contentment? Rest in all that Christ is for you. For in the Lord Jesus Christ, because we have received this inheritance, that as we learned in Veritas this morning, is already and not yet. The best is yet to come as we receive the fullness of this inheritance, as we enjoy living in the kingdom of God on the new earth with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the saints for all eternity. We have been given an inheritance from God according to the purpose of God, all for the glory of God. This is the beauty of sovereign grace. And may I add, we are not even scratching the surface of the beauty and the depth and the wonder and the mystery of sovereign grace. Let's pray. Father, this morning we have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we faithfully partake of the elements, I pray that uh, the words from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, would be on our hearts and on our minds, that we would remember that it is because of Christ that we have an inheritance. And that inheritance is all because of God's purpose, and it is all for your glory. And so, Lord, as we partake of the bread that represents the body of Jesus, as we partake of the juice that represents the blood of our Savior, I pray, God, that uh, many sins would be confessed during this time, that every sin that is confessed you you would hear and that you would forgive all because of the the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise in First John that tells us that if we, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I pray that each person this morning would have the, the courage, the clarity of mind and the depth of heart to, to clear the, the decks with you, a holy God and to receive that forgiveness and to, to come to you with a, a heart that longs to, to worship you, a heart that longs to obey you, a, long, a heart that longs to accept these great realities that we have explored briefly this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you accomplished on the cross at Calvary. Thank you for purchasing us. Thank you for the inheritance that is ours because of your work at Calvary. So we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the, what the, the blood represents. We thank you that you are reigning. You're seated at the right hand of the Father, that you will reign for all eternity, and that one day we will reign with you as we indwell uh, the new earth forever and ever, delivered 
once and for all of the power and the penalty and the presence of sin. Thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. Thank you for the inheritance that we are enjoying right now. May this be a special time of worship together in the household of faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.